0: Hi, this is Phil Paluccia from Billionaires in Boxes, and you are about to enjoy an episode from Mike Hayding. He is the CEO and founder over at Norhard. They are doing some incredible things with the US real estate market, and I'm sure that you will enjoy this upcoming interview.
1: The unicorn is a legendary creature that for ages has been shrouded in magic. It has magical powers. It heals sicknesses, things that many think are impossible to do. It's something that is highly desirable, but difficult to find or obtain. It's a story of lore from around the 1200s, and since its origin, the word unicorn has gone on to name a person or thing that is rare or highly valued, whether that's a billion-dollar startup or that special symbol meaning in life. This is a story of both. A business on the path to reaching the unicorn status of a billion-dollar valuation. And of the people who have come together in a special and meaningful way to make it happen. And that's where our story begins. It's not the question of whether the business will achieve unicorn status. It's the realization that it already has. This is Zero to Unicorn.
2: The day before we're opening, I'm just, I'm really young at this point, and uh, we all, the whole family, my brother, my mom, my dad, and myself, we just lay down on the carpet on one of the, the living room of one of the units, and they're like, we did it.
1: That's Mike Kading, reflecting on the early days of what used to be his dad's business, Kason, a property management company focused on building multifamily apartment complexes. Now, that company is called Norhart. And Mike, who we just heard, is the CEO. But before we get there, we need to start with the story of his parents, Ed and Brenda Kading. This is Brenda. Let me back up a little bit. Located in Forest Lake, Minnesota, is a business that began because of her husband Ed's vision, Mike's dad, and the house she lives in. It was the one thing that they kept when they almost lost everything
3: else. You know, it's interesting because as we started that, and that's, that's the name that came out of that, it was Kason, that was the, the company name. As we came out of that, we, we gained so much respect of money. When you don't have it, when you're scraping for every penny, you learn to respect every penny and use every penny wisely. And losing everything
1: became the catalyst that Ed needed to jumpstart Kason. Kason which eventually became Norhart. With Ed at the helm, Kason functioned more like a group of family and friends than just a business. That was the kind of man that Ed was.
3: I could tell he was really smart. Very smart. And I felt pretty dumb. And uh, But he really cared. I could tell he cared about people. And so that's, that was basically it. He was pretty... He was part of InterVarsity on that campus before I was, and he knew a lot of people there. And one girl, you know, he was friends with a lot of people, and one girl uh, was talking to him one night. She said, I'm not going to come back the next quarter. Uh, It was at the end of the winter quarter. He said, I can't come back the next quarter. He inquired why and found out that she didn't have any money. She couldn't afford to go. And so he quietly paid her tuition so she could go for the next quarter. Stuff like that, little things that kind of came out later. We had many people that would come to us and say, hey, can we have can we have this issue or that issue? And he was together. We were very um, wise in our giving of who we gave to and who we helped. Um, we had people... Uh, live with us over the years. We had 20, 25 foreign exchange students live with us over the course of 25 years, 20 years, excuse me. Um, people were in and out of our house a lot. The kids used to ask, well, we'd say, okay, we're getting somebody else is coming to live with us. And <laughs> their question was like, are they gonna stay for a little time or a long time? Because it could have been from three weeks to Nine or ten months. It was challenging. I'm not going to say it wasn't. It was challenging having somebody else live in your house, um, but it was good. It, there was a feeling of, hey, maybe we can help somebody. Maybe we can do something there to change their life or to just enhance their life. Um, so it, it it was good. It it was it was challenging, yet it was very very good. I think it was good for our kids as well in many ways. Um, they got to see the world um, because the world came to us. And then consequently, we went to visit many of these people who had lived with us too. So, One
1: of those families who Ed invited to stay would blossom into a business venture based in the country of Peru. Ed was a guy with his hands in many pots, always tackling new opportunities and challenges that he felt intrigued by.
2: When I was really young, the Special Olympics were coming to Minnesota. And my parents, my mom especially, was into Special Ed, and she wanted to support the people coming here. And so the students themselves had a place to live for the Special Olympics. The parents and the families did not. And so my fa- my family actually sponsored and helped um, a guy named Poncho and his family to stay in our house during the Special Olympics.
1: Which is what landed Ed and his family in Peru. Tackling an unlikely project with Pancho as an unlikely business partner.
3: A few months later, Poncho called us and said, Hey, I got this great idea. Um uh, Lima needs a a cheap bus system. There aren't enough buses for transportation. We could if you could send us buses, then we will get them on the road, we'll get drivers, we'll make money, and then we'll it will generate money and we'll pay you back for the buses. And because they had lived with us for that period of time, we had a good time. We trusted them. Now, well, hindsight is twenty twenty, 20 but uh, it wasn't a good idea. But we decided to uh, be involved in that and send buses down.
2: And over time, this relationship blossomed. And they discovered that they could help people improve by bringing down buses from the United States and help build a transportation system within the city. And so uh, my dad and Pancho worked out this arrangement where my dad took this really big loan to purchase these buses and then shipped them down to Peru.
1: While all of Ed's ventures were rooted in service of others, they quickly found that much of the time, their generosity was taken advantage of.
2: And then over time, uh Poncho and the enterprise were supposed to pay my dad back so he could pay off the loan. And the first month or two or three, things were going along well. Poncho was making the payments back to my dad. And then over time, Poncho stopped paying. And this made my dad nervous. And he would fly down there on a regular basis to inspect the books and have conversations with Pancho. And everything kind of seemed right, but a little bit off. And it was months uh, my dad started to realize that he'd been taken by Pancho and that Pancho had the bus system running properly and was just pocketing all the money himself. One of the lessons he learned during this time is that at least in Peru at that time, it was a kind of corrupt environment. You get what you can take and if you can take it, great, and you're in a good spot. And so then And my my dad ended up taking Pancho to court and Pancho actually moved all the assets from himself to his wife. And there's a law in Peru at the time that said that you couldn't go after the wife's assets. And so this went through the court process to try to get Pancho to return the assets to my dad. And it went all the way to the Peruvian Supreme Court. Court. and even there, uh corruption was al- alive and well and i think a day or two before um, the, the court hearing or the ruling uh, a couple of the judges were swapped out and what they learned after the fact is they were kind of paid off to bring in people that were sympathetic to poncho so poncho because he had access to the money could pay off the judges and get a ruling in his favor which is crazy to me
3: didn't pan out as we had hoped it would would have been, and we lost a lot of money there. And it, at one point, Ed had to, um, he decided that he was going to be an electrical contractor to pay back all this money that we had lost when guy in Peru did not um, uh, pay us back for the buses we sent down. So I remember sitting down in our in our family room on a New Year's Eve and we sat down and started thinking about, okay, we got this money to pay back. How are we going to do it? And he had his, he had a master's in electrical engineering so all he had to do was to go back and take the master's test to be an electrical contractor. He just had to take the test and experience. He took it, he, he aced it, and then he decided, okay, we're going to have to go and find jobs and we're just going to We're just going to make this happen, and we're going to pay this money back. So we worked for three different contractors um, on new home construction doing electrical. We hated every minute of it. And it was stressful on our family because we didn't have any money. And the money we were getting in had to go to pay back the loan that we had. Um, I was working part-time, so we were living on a part-time salary, basically. so he was just determined, okay, we got to do this. He hated every minute of it. He didn't like working with the contractors, but he knew we had to do it. And so he did it, very determined, very disciplined. Um, and uh, so our kids were little at that point. It was tough because he was working a lot, and we'd go out to the job sites. And, you know, it, it was it, it was okay. We knew we had to do it. We knew it was going to be in a short-term thing. And then it was after that money got repaid that he thought, "Oh, let's let's build an apartment building." He came to me one day he said, "Hey, what do you think if we build apartment buildings?" Now keep in mind he owned two apartment buildings. He, he bought two apartment buildings when he was in college. He had built a couple others, or at least one other, with his brother in North Dakota. And then he said, "Hey, let's do, let's build our own." And I'm thinking, okay.
2: <laughs> My dad got into real estate because it was it was something he kind of understood he played with it a little bit when he was younger he obviously had a small um multifamily building and i remember him telling me that he he had me as a son and, and his second son was on the way and he just needed to get a real job that actually uh, could pay the bills and so i don't think there was anything particular about real estate that just made him super excited and the reality of it was is it was something that could pay the bills for him
3: he was farming. He and his brother were farming while they were in high school, and in in college, their dad had retired, and so they did the farming operation. He did that through college. Um, first year we got married, he was his last year of farming with his brother. Um, his master's thesis was on building an electric car, so he was way he was way beyond. Uh, he was a trendsetter, I guess, before it was before electric cars were cool. Um, so that was his thing, and he was building this and he was driving it. and we um, when we graduated, I started teaching and then he was actually building the car um, independently, doing his own thing. He was his own uh, he was all, his own guy, you know He, he kind of liked doing his own thing and kind of thinking out of the box because everybody thought he was kind of crazy. He's saying, I'm building an electric car, and everybody's looking at him like, are you nuts? It evolved into a hybrid car that you see driving on the roads today, and that's what his last car was. Uh, So, yeah, everybody thought it was a little weird, a little different. He was very disciplined, determined, and um, he knew what he wanted to do, and he was going to do it. If he had an idea he was going to make it happen. Uh, Even if he had to learn everything about it, he was going to learn how to make it happen. He just thought he could do it.
1: Despite these intense moments, the challenges of building a business while growing a family and having a desire to serve is what kept the Katings going. If this were just an opportunity to make money or get into real estate, it wouldn't have survived. Not because of the business model or the lack of opportunity, but because being a unicorn requires making the impossible possible in a special and meaningful way. So my
2: mom was a teacher. She taught during the school year. but During the summer, she would come out and help, and she'd be out there painting or half-watching us kids or doing whatever needed to be done, because there was only a couple of us building this eight-unit building. And again, that's, that was sort of my dad's way, is keep the cost as low as we can. and pull in uh, the people he knew to help build these buildings. I remember one day, my dad pulling me aside looking at a neighboring building. And he said, Mike, this other apartment building, it failed. They built it too expensively. And he said, it's, it's really hard to adjust rents. But if you can drive down the cost of what you're doing, you're much more likely to, su- to succeed. And so he was so adamant about making sure we don't waste any bit of money and so that very much was ingrained in my thinking growing up in my experience in later years um you know today the techniques for us to driving down costs are very different than what he used then uh, back then it was being scrappy it was doing whatever it took just to get the job done and putting the energy in you can once you get to a larger scale It doesn't matter how many hours you put in, you're not going to have a meaningful impact yourself alone on these projects. And so the techniques we use today are more about hiring the best people, building the right system, the right infrastructure in uh, to build these buildings at scale. But the heart of who he was and the heart of his passion to drive down costs is definitely carried through to us today.
3: Along
1: the way, people showed up for the Katings. And in the same way, the Katings showed up for them.
2: Yeah, my mom had a few moments of, of looking at like our church and seeing the food, uh, the, the food bank and stuff, and I think wanting to take that food and, and to use that resource, but but I think for her, it, it, her heart is so much in the I want to support others that she didn't, she never did that. She just ate we ate the most basic food had the most basic living, uh, just to make a buy during that time.
1: And even when times were hard, the right pieces and people still seemed to fall into place. Like Harry.
4: We purchased his property in 1954, my wife and I.
1: Harry is one of those special people who paved the way for the future growth of the family business. Harry owned a desirable piece of land in an area ripe for development.
4: And she and her family had moved here in 43, so in other words, my wife had grown up here, and after I graduated from high school, I went in the service, as people did then, and uh, went to college, things of that nature after I got home, and we were renting a place, and her parents were living here, but they were older, and uh, her father's health wasn't the best, so they moved to a uh, Ebenezer home down the cities. And at that time, they uh, offered us the house. And uh, my wife was quite sentimental about property. And uh, so we purchased it at that time. And uh, it was a wonderful place for us. Uh, I loved nature. Uh, The family did, so we did plant a lot of trees here. And it became a very uh, uh, nice place for us to be. What
1: was an idyllic setting for Harry's family was becoming a burden with his wife's diminishing health. Harry had been trying to sell the land for a while, but declined offer after offer because he wasn't feeling like the right person had come along.
4: As time passed on, my wife uh, started having some symptoms of dementia. And uh, actually, um, I felt perhaps that it would be wise to look ahead and I put a sign up on the property, and, and it was kind of a, well, it was honest on my part, but I don't think the people reading it appreciated I just said, you know, the, so much for sale, and uh, I'm, you know, accepting offers. And I think they wanted me to say what it was worth. And I wasn't positive, even though I had, so I was testing the waters.
1: That is, until Ed showed up
4: one day a fellow came there that I believe worked for the Canings. He, uh, he had a heavy equipment operator. And he talked to me about the property and, and I said, well, then it was for sale. I mean, but the worst thing someone can ask me is what do you want for it? The next thing I know, I get a knock on the door not that long afterwards that it was Ed Caning. And he was quite straightforward. He said, I'm here at Caning and I'd like to buy your property. And uh he was a, I could tell he was a Pretty all-together guy. Uh, and uh, we didn't talk all that much, but he, he piqued my interest. Well, I could tell that I, I could tell he was interested in something for himself. He had something in mind. Uh, he presented himself in a way that I trusted him immediately. Uh, and that was, was the big thing. Other people were kind of wheelers and dealers and uh, writing checks and leaving them on my door and all that type of thing you know, hoping I'd cash it, and, 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 and uh, then they'd have their deal. And and I, I never took them very seriously, and that's why I put a gunny sack over the sign. So actually, Ed came to the door, and, uh, you know, one thing about first impressions, you only get one, right? And that's what did it. But what sealed the deal was Brenda.
3: Within a couple of days of that, we s- scraped up enough money very and we, we purchased that.
4: Ed was right in there. Right, uh, he, he didn't push the string. He pulled it. He was a hard worker, kids were. He did a lot of things with his own innovation. So in other words, it uh, you might say they were self-made.
1: This is the mentality that the entire family shared because Ed spearheaded it. With this new plot of land began this new dream that would become a massively impactful business
4: I had no ideas that they would expand to what they are today uh, but I'm not surprised they're very capable people I just felt very comfortable uh, even when I stayed well beyond what I thought I would and uh, but they were always cordial and uh, Actually, it used to be a small barn on the property that uh, I took down, and I had used that to park for uh, put the car in. And uh, they actually built a double garage with an additional place for their uh, implements that they needed to maintain this property, which uh, was extremely appreciated. You know, so they showed me nothing but kindness.
1: After the break. The Kading's learned how to balance a burgeoning business with a growing family. The Kading's were in the throes of building this new business, all while they had a young family. And as with many things worth doing in life, it didn't come without its challenges.
2: So my dad is doing these three different jobs, and I think he's getting burned out at this point in time. And he, he's always been the kind of soul that doesn't want to go work for other people. Even if he's working for himself and putting a ton of hours into it, that freedom and flexibility is something that he values. And he knew real estate could work, right? He learned the lessons in farming that was really volatile. Things would be really good or really bad. But with real estate, it could be more stable. And so he started to have this, this little dream of, could I build a small apartment building?
3: We were trying to help. Okay, we were trying to help in Peru and didn't work out quite how we wanted to. And, um, you know, some people might think this is absolutely crazy, but I don't. I think that God blessed us in that. And that we've been challenged financially. We learned a lot. And then this piece of property drops in our lap. And he had this idea to build an apartment building. And... Uh, So, it's kind of that. It was hard. Kids were little. It was hard. Um, But we knew that we kind of just needed to keep moving forward. But even in the
1: hard times, Ed knew that they were building something special. So, he kept at it.
2: I think in part of putting all this energy to paying back the bank, I think the banks actually became more excited about working with him and gave him an opportunity to build this building that he may not have otherwise had if he had not shown the banks that he was willing to do all that it took to make sure that they were made whole. And so uh, he got the loan for the project, purchased the land, and uh, I I remember the original drawings of this. It was, it was literally on two sheets of paper. I mean, they're larger paper, but he drew it all up by hand, what the building would be and, and the shape and size, and then started building. And I, he used, like, high school students and college students and just a mixed match of people to put it all together and just poured a ton of energy and effort and a blood, sweat, and tears into, into building the building and and then seeing it come together. Um, and then uh, I remember he, he was so proud of, the, um, of putting up for Liz and seeing the excitement and seeing... It was just an eight-unit building, but eight people come together and be excited about living in that building.
0: I, I do remember when the first family moved in.
1: That's Lucas Cading, Brendan Ed's son, and Mike's brother.
0: The big thing was we kind of got to the end of the building, and um, we we as a family just kind of laid on the carpet. We were like the last thing we needed to do is lay the carpets for the entire building, and once the carpenter left, um, and this was like a couple hours before. The, family, the first family was supposed to move in so the carpenter was there and uh, and they were they were getting the last few things it was kind of stressful we weren't sure if they were going to make it in time because the first family was going to get in soon um, and luckily like just a couple hours before the first family was supposed to move in the carpenter finished up and they
2: left we whole the whole family my brother my mom my dad and myself we just lay down on the carpet on one of the the living room of one of the units we're like we did it Like we've gotten past this phase in life
0: and then As a family, my brother, mom, dad, and I um, went up to one of the rooms. We just laid down and just kind of like uh, just happy that it was we had done and we were finished. Um, And I know my parents obviously put all that effort and time into making sure it was getting done. Um, And we just relaxed and and appreciated the time as a family. But it was that first interaction. The first time uh, I came to the Apex, we got to kind of uh, kind of celebrate the completion of the building as a family, which was fun.
2: We've gotten to a point now that my dad is on a new trajectory and things are looking up uh, for once in a long time.
0: I remember pouring the, the first uh, slab of concrete down on, on the, well, at least for the um, the garages in the back. Um, I, I remember I was kind of just around, um, not really helping, but, uh, you know, trying to, you know, I, I think my, my dad asked me to pull up the rebar as they were putting the concrete down. Um, and that was kind of my job just to make sure the rebar ended up about halfway into the slabs. Obviously, if it if it's outside the slab, it could potentially rust and, and decay. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of my one of my jobs there. Um, there are stories I remember from the Apex. Uh, well, it's kind of a, a weird story. But um, when I was uh, when we were building that, uh, there's actually a, a, a hornet's nest or a, a, a bee's nest or something in the ground in the back there. And I was, um, my dad went over to spray it to kind of take care of the bees, and I saw him like trying to spray, but he's like dancing around, like I don't know, he's wiping his like wiping his uh, arms off from the bees that were like trying to get on him because obviously he was um, spraying to the hive, and I thought he was dancing, and I thought, oh, that's I want to go dance too, which is weird because I didn't really care for dancing or anything, but I like I I thought he was dancing, so I'm like I want to go over and dance too, and I went over to him. And then my dad's like, no, 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 get away! And like the bees started uh, kind of going after me. And, and then like he he was like more protected. I think he wore long sleeves and, and and pants. And you know I wasn't necessarily there to work that day. I was just kind of there. My dad was just taking care of something. And so the bees started like uh, um, uh, getting me. And, and we we had to run over into the uh, into the ape into the aplex and um, kind of took shelter in one of the in one of the rooms.
1: But there was a moment in this journey when everything could have changed. When we come back. Ed Kading has a brush with danger that nearly undid everything. That seed of an idea that would turn into Norhart could have easily vanished, along with its patriarch.
2: One of the trips down to Peru, uh, my dad was staying in a hotel, and he loves to walk the beach. And so he'd walk down on the beach back and forth, just a way to get exercise. And as he's walking down the beach, this guy comes up to him, asks him a lot of questions about the United States, what it's like, what his experience is, and then disappears.
3: So he's walking the beach, and some guy comes up to him, look like a druggy type guy, and he goes, Hey, you're an American, aren't you? And the guy kind of talked in broken English. Oh, how to, I'd like to go to America. Can you tell me all about it? And he just looked... Uh, like, not a very decent guy. And Ed just kind of answered his questions and just walked away as fast as he could. The guy kind of followed him and then finally left.
2: My dad thinks, well, this is a bit strange. I'm not sure what's going on,
3: but kind of puts it out of his mind. About 10 minutes later, here comes this guy with two or three, three other guys And the other guys looked like they were dressed in military, or not military, but police uniforms. A couple of cops
2: come up to him. They pull him aside and say, we got some questions for you. That man you were just talking to, well, he was a known drug dealer. And, you know, now we need to take you down to the station because we're not sure whether or not you are related to this at all.
3: And upon looking at them, you know, you would think that... um, but they really weren't. They 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 drugged the druggy guy with them, and they said, "Oh, this is your American contact, and and uh, we have to arrest you both and take you to jail." And they, and Dad didn't know anything. He didn't he didn't know that they weren't policing. They looked like it.
2: So they take him over and put him into a what kind of looks like a cop car, um, but very quickly in their car, my dad realized something wasn't right.
3: Two guys in front, I think two in the back, and then he was in the middle in the back. And once he got in the car, he realized, oh, these aren't police and this is not a good situation. They were basically looking for money. And I think he had suntan lotion in his pocket and I think they thought he had a wad of money or something. He took that out, he took his wallet out, says, See, I don't have any money. Um, I don't have anything. And the guys didn't know what to do with them. And Ed wasn't sure what was going to happen either.
2: They started driving down the road, headed toward a really bad part of town. He knew going there meant nothing good.
3: And before Ed had gone on to the beach, he'd asked people, where should I not go? They said, don't go toward the warehouse district. And they were driving toward the warehouse district. And um, so... Ed's mind was always spinning. It was always thinking and he could always calculate things. One of the things he had learned is that as us as humans, we only have about
2: we have about a second before we start to realize what's going on. And so he starts to formulate this plan in his mind.
3: He thought, "Okay, when the car gets down to about 10 miles an hour, I could jump out. I could go jump in between the guys in front and and uh, Opened the door, he saw the way the door handle was. I can open the door and fall out, but he had to get down to 10 miles an hour. And then he saw a, a street light or a, a stoplight coming up, and there are very, very few stop or stoplights in, in in Lima. It's it's rare. At that point, it was rare to see him, but he saw one coming up.
2: The next stoplight, that the car was slowing down, he was gonna gonna get out of there. That's what he did. As he started to watch that speedometer go down and down and down. As they were approaching a red light, 10-mile-an-hour hit, he jumped forward, opened the car door on the passenger's side, and he used the momentum of that door swinging open as the car slowed down to pull him out of the car, all within about one second.
3: And he just started running the opposite direction in between traffic to get out of there, and he's—I think he said he ran for probably a mile before he stopped. Uh, the guys didn't know what to do with him because they were just looking for money. But it was pretty scary. He didn't know where they were going to take him. Uh,
2: and then I think he went to his hotel and just sit there and and shook because of how terrifying that moment was.
3: So it was very, very, very scary. So he's one of—he's the only person I know of that's ever been kidnapped in Lima, Peru, and lived to tell about it.
2: I think when like kidnapping made my dad realize that the world out there can be kind of a challenging place to make sure not to just blindly trust and believe and, and, and we should have the best spirit and support of people, but you also need to have a little bit of a understanding of are they the right person? Are they trying to take advantage of me? And also just having a better sense of it. The awareness around him my dad isn't a fighter in the physical sense but he is a fighter in the mental sense he will fight and push and drive things forward and lay himself out there to support and draw and move things where it needs to go in such a powerful way boy i think the sentiment of you get what you can take is, sh- is so short-sighted Um, to me, it's so opposite of what I believe. I think the more you can help and support others, the better it will be for you in the long run. And honestly, if you want to make a worldwide kind of impact to really make a positive impact in the world, the only way you get to that kind of scale is by supporting and helping the people around you that are helping support you. For my dad, this venture was sort of a hybrid. It was a a business that was trying to do good. So he was hoping to um, earn a profit on it. Uh, I don't think that profit was extraordinary by any measure, Uh, but it was also about the heart of helping these people that he was really passionate to support.
1: The first apartment building was just the beginning of what is now Norhart. It was an eight unit apartment cobbled together by the family and a hodgepodge of college students, contractors, and laborers
2: northbrook was the first apartment building that my dad constructed and after he completed this because he did it during the summer he took the winter as a bit of a breathing room because it's very intense for him while we were building that building and i think he just got restless and realized wow we could we could do this again we could build this up and grow it even further and i think that sort of thought excited him this is kind of the person that he was
1: Harry's Land helped pave the way to taking on larger projects, the projects that have fueled the possibilities for growth. And it's the land where their corporate office has resided for the past decade. I wish that Ed were
3: here to see this, to see what he started. That what it has turned into, I think he would, uh, I wish he would get the recognition, instead of me being the mom of the company, he's really the dad of the company. He would be amazed that's where it is, where it's going, or where it is. He would be amazed. I think he would be very proud. He would be certainly so very proud of, of what Mike has accomplished and uh, what he's done with the company. And uh, he'd sit back and go, wow, he would understand that. And while we would never have taken it to this level, he and I would never have taken it to this level. Um, I think he would be, I know he would be extremely proud of what what it's become, where it is now today, what it's become, and what Mike has done. Brenda always supported Ed's vision, and Lucas always had a
1: willingness to jump in and get the job done.
0: It's like This momentum was kind of built up in her family. Um, and, and it is the work ethic that we have, right? You know, I, I think, I'm not sure where it said. I'm sure it said somewhere, but like, success isn't driven by how much you know, right? I mean, how much you know makes getting success a lot easier. But where people are really successful is when they just focus and they keep at it. If you don't stop and you keep at it, you're way more likely to be successful than if you just happen to be naturally gifted. You know, naturally gifted and smart. Um, and so, I think that work ethic that my parents kind of instilled in my brother and I is what's made us has allowed us to become successful. And, uh, and yeah, they, they exemplified it day in, and day out, year in, year out. And, and I think that's why we've been able to achieve what we're able to achieve. And that's why, you know, we're, we're surrounded by the people we're surrounded with now. Oh, and I have to say, you know, it's of course, um, we were very fortunate to be, be surrounded by lots of great friends and family that, that always kind of came to our, our aid, you know, uh, when we were younger, there are times where and I can't remember all of them, but the there are times where we were having a hard time building something or we needed support and. You know, as a community, kind of my, my family friends would kind of um, come around us and make sure that we were, you know, successful. They didn't have to; it wasn't required, um, but they they supported us too. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's both this work ethic we had plus the people that we were fortunate to be surrounded by. You know, I, I think that they saw the vision that my dad had and they saw what my mom you know was doing, and they wanted to to kind of support that. They wanted us to be successful, and, and you know, in turn. Yeah, we would also support them and, um, you know, my, my mom always had a heart for the people around her and was always trying to, to do things for them. So, you know, I think that, that she was out there helping other people and then when she came around and said, look, we need some some help here, I think that they that kind of reciprocated that.
1: And now Mike's leadership has taken the company from what was a family run operation to a company seeking to dominate the construction industry, changing housing affordability for all. But like did it. Like, we've
2: gotten past this phase in life. We've gotten to a point now that my dad is on a new trajectory, and things are looking up uh, for once in a long time.
1: But the vision Mike is leading today didn't come easily. Like all things, it was hard one. As the story continues, we get to know the next generation of Katings, establishing how we went from Kaysen to Norhard. And, of course, there is a girl. Basically, on that trip, We made it official. We were like a boyfriend, girlfriend. And I sometimes joke that I like tricked him into it. But, you know, he said, well, that was the best trick.
0: Thank you for enjoying this content by Billionaires in Boxes. If you would like to be a guest or a host, be sure to get in contact with us at billionairesinboxes.com.